Amid all the debate about the need for the U.S. to migrate to a more advanced card technology, much has been touted about chip and pen, which for many of us means EMV. But progress toward chip technology that conforms to the EMV standard has actually been underway in the U.S. for quite some time. It's just been in small doses, and the catalyst for implementation has not necessarily been security, but payment compatibility for frequent international travelers. Here, Merrill Halpern, Card Services Manager for the United Nations Federal Credit Union, the first U.S. banking institution to introduce an EMV credit card, and Philippe Benitez of EMV provider Gemalto, talk about the EMV rollout this banking institution initiated four years ago and what recent breaches could mean for similar rollouts at other institutions in the near future. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Meryl, you and I spoke back in May 2010, just after UNFCU initiated its EMV rollout for a portion of its high-value credit portfolio. At that time, the migration to CHIP was instigated by a need to ensure payments compatibility for some of your frequent international travelers. How has the program evolved, expanded, and changed in the last four years? Good afternoon. The program has evolved very, very well. We've had a tremendous expansion and a tremendous demand for EMV cards, and I'm very happy to say that during the past four years when we have been issuing these cards, that we have never had any fraud from an EMV transaction. We have only had fraud reported to us on transactions that were made with the Max Stripe, a Max Stripe authorization on the same card. And of course, those transactions were beginning primarily in the U.S. Merrill, UNFCU has about 400,000 members that are scattered throughout the globe. What made your position unique from an EMV rollout perspective? Obviously, as a U.S. issuer, although we had cardholders throughout the world, we were keenly aware of the fact that our, our cardholders were hindered in not being able to transact overseas. But along with that, we realized that we were exposed to a tremendous amount of fraud when our cards could be accepted anywhere with a Max Stripe authorization. You know, this has played out to the industry's awareness in, in recent months because the fraud rate has really spiked in the U.S. with so much non-EMV authorized fraud transactions, you know, migrating back towards the United States. So it all come to a head recently in everybody's eyes with the recent major merchant debacles. Meryl, you've touched on this a bit, but um, I'd like for you to elaborate a bit here. Initially, your decision to migrate to EMV was more about customer convenience than security, which in part is why you opted to provide EMV for credit cards. Has that position or perspective changed in recent years? Of course, it is convenience, but again, as any financial institution would have to be concerned about, about profitability and the risk to profitability from losses, we're recognizing that the EMV solution, as I mentioned before, virtually prevents fraud on credit card transactions when the card is present. And that's a very, very, very important consideration for any financial institution. When fraud occurs, it not only reflects losses to the institution, it also has a negative impact on the relationship between a cardholder, a consumer, and their financial institution. No consumer wants to feel like they are at risk by using a product that's being provided by you know, whom they think is their trusted financial provider who has all their secure information within their operating systems. Do you currently have any plans, Merrill, or do you have plans perhaps for the near future to roll out EMV-compliant debit cards? Yes, we do. And that is on the calendar for us, and frankly, 
like all U.S. financial institutions, we're at a standstill on that for the moment, strictly because there is this regulatory judgment that we're waiting to hear from the courts about routing priorities. And until that's resolved, unfortunately, that's going to stand in the way of you know, all U.S. financial institutions from moving ahead with new vetted EMV programs. And frankly, I was a little concerned that the deadline for EMV compliance in fall of 2015 was perhaps going to move a bit because of this, but I believe that most industry players are going to stick pretty toughly with their original timelines for liability shifts as is you know, the recent target event. It was a horrible thing that happened. But for the industry, it raised everyone's awareness of how exposed the average U.S. consumer is. And financial institutions have to protect that relationship between their customers and the marketplace. Meryl, you noted earlier that you haven't seen any fraud on any of the card present transactions that were actually authorized using the EMV chip. Can you talk a bit about how fraud perhaps has been reduced because of your EMV rollout? It's very simple. We're doing chip and PIN authorizations and the PIN is the PIN, and a PIN cannot be compromised. It can be perhaps stolen, but it cannot be compromised because when it's entered securely at an EMV terminal, that it's authorized against the information on the chip, and the chips cannot be copied. Merrill and Philippe, I'd like for you both to address this particular question. There's been a lot of discussion about EMV technology in recent weeks because of some of these retail breaches, namely Target, that we've seen. Do you think that EMV is a dated technology that perhaps needs to be integrated with mobile or combined with some other type of near-field communication technology in order to really be a viable solution in the U.S.? Hi, Tracy. This is Philippe. And I think that EMV is definitely a mature technology. It's not a new technology, as we all know, uh, because it's been in use for at least a decade in the rest of the world to secure credit and debit card transactions. And even though it has been around for a while, it is a constantly evolving technology, which is being developed and deployed in other form factors. So for example, whereas the original deployments of EMV technology were on contact chip cards, phase two of those deployments are now on dual interface contactless EMV cards. And at the same time, mobile EMV on NFC has been standardized and is being deployed on mobile phones in different parts of the world, including the US. So when we talk about EMV, we should think of it more as an underlying uh, technology that supports all kinds of payments across many acceptance channels, including uh, contactless EMV cards, credit and debit cards, and mobile EMV on NFC. And I would just add to that, basically EMV is providing the foundation for moving ahead for more secure transactions, no matter what the technology is. And as a point of evidence of that, I'll cite the fact that the EMV code, the world standards body for the EMV technology, EMV operating standards, has recently announced a move towards tokenization. And this is something that I've also heard emphasized by Visa, where in time, the encrypted information that's on an EMV chip can be included with other particular information having to do with an individual consumer and their card. And that secure token is a means then of migrating to other types of non-card payments. 
Both of you make good points, and this kind of ties in with some of what we've heard in the industry in general. The Federal Reserve recently addressed some of the payments infrastructure challenges that we face here in the U.S. and noted that enhancements to payments are needed and are really quite overdue. But it wasn't just EMV that was noted by the Fed. The entire infrastructure, the regulator says, needs to be overhauled. What could or should this mean for EMV and payments compatibility with the rest of the world? I would say that EMV as I mentioned before with tokenization, definitely lays the groundwork as a migration path to any other new technologies that present themselves along the way. And the reason I believe that is because it's here now and it works and it's flexible and it's an evolving standard that gets better over time. From my experience, I've found that the regulators are primarily thinking about things from an economic standpoint. I don't think that they there's necessarily a deep understanding of the constraints of the current payment system and how, how transactions are authorized and settled. And um, with a truer knowledge of that, I think it's evident that uh, EMV is definitely not only a means of securing transactions in a better fashion today, but also providing a path towards newer technologies that, that build upon it. Right, and I agree entirely with Merrill's point. And on top of that, what the regulators refer to when they say that the entire payments infrastructure needs to be upgraded, what they're referring to is that card not present transactions, so e-commerce and m-commerce transactions are uh, typically card not present, right? So there's no card present, and therefore it makes securing those transactions much more complicated whereas face-to-face transactions are usually card present. And with an EMV card, we've seen how those are infinitely more secure than what has been done with Magnetic Stripe in the past. So with EMV as the underlying foundational technology to enable payments across all of these channels with the use of tokenization or with the use of secure elements in mobile EMV forms you know, within an, an NFC phone, uh, we will see how EMV can be used to perform card present transactions in any one of these channels. So whether we're talking about mobile commerce, e-commerce, uh, or face-to-face, obviously. In the wake of some of these recent card breaches that we've seen, such as the ones that impacted Target and Neiman Marcus, do either of you see more card issuers accelerating their issuance of EMV-compliant cards? I would definitely expect that for a very simple reason that not only is a liability shift coming, but I also believe that financial institutions are recognizing that they have to invest in their customer and their customer's sense of satisfaction and security. And I think this is going to become a recurring theme. I mean, when it all boils down at the end of the day, financial products are essentially similar from one institution to another. And a large part of uh, the preference that a consumer is going to have for one institution versus another is going to be how they're treated. And it's not just how they're treated on a direct face-to-face or written basis, but also how they're treated, how their account is handled, and the safety and security that's applied to the handling of their account. And I think that, as I mentioned before, this is especially going to become a very sensitive issue with debit. So what about some of the challenges that institutions face on the debit side? 
we've talked a little bit and perhaps you both could elaborate on this a bit, some of the challenges when it comes to the, the dynamic infrastructure of uh, the debit network here in the U.S. But then also we've had some questions raised about incentives that banking institutions might get on the interchange uh, side of things when it comes to debit transactions that they could perhaps use to help fund some of their EMV rollouts. Do you think that these are issues that banking institutions are considering or are they just moving ahead or what seem to be the challenges, if not those others? I think it depends upon the individual institution and the, the contractual relationships that they have with their individual payment service providers or networks. Obviously, the fees that are paid are helping to run the system, and if fees are going to be reduced, if savings are going to be passed on to consumers, it has to come out of somebody's pocket. It's either going to be the financial institutions or the card processing associations. Frankly, I think that's a subject of negotiation. I don't think it's necessarily going to be decided in the short term, and I think to a large extent the current practice that many very large financial institutions have of negotiating custom deals is going to continue. Challenges on the debit side are more business challenges, as, as Merrill was mentioning, because once again the technology itself, EMV technology, supports cards and mobile for credit and debit cards. So all form factors and all types of uh, payment methods. So Meryl, let's go back to talk about your institution specifically. What challenges would you say that UNFCU has faced and continues to face when it comes to EMV rollouts? I would say that one of the biggest challenges is the fact that you know we, we send cards all over the world and then for security reasons we were sending our PIN mailers a short time afterwards, but definitely not the same time to prevent intervention by fraudsters who try to steal you know, both cards and pins at the same time in the mail. And overall, this was adding to the length of time it was taking for all pieces of the transactional puzzle to come to the consumer. And we started to leverage the global capability of Jamalto because they have global uh, processing centers that can generate EMV cards so that they can get a card, say, to our cardholder that's someplace in Europe or in North Africa from a processing center that they have in France a lot faster than then uh, they can normally get a card there from North America. That definitely cuts some time out of the equation when people were waiting for cards, and at the same time, it closes the window of time, gives us a little more wiggle room when we have to get pins out because we're cutting down the amount of time it takes for the plastic to get there. And then, Meryl and Philippe, before we close, could both of you talk about what you see coming down the pike in the U.S. over the course of the next 6 to 12 months and what changes we might see relative to the payments landscape and EMV rollouts? I would say that, unfortunately, I think there's going to be more compromises. I think it's going to contribute to consumer hysteria in the U.S., and I think those institutions that are you know, on the road to either doing EMV now or planning on it seriously in the near future will at least have a means of recovery, and I think those that haven't begun to do it yet are going to have a lot of work ahead and a lot of potentially unhappy consumers, a lot of very worried consumers. The fact that Criminals are becoming increasingly sophisticated to the point where, uh, it's, you know, a whiz kid uh, programmer working in an unsupervised environment can easily put together a variety of schemes, and I think this is something that became evident in the target, and it's very easy for 
seeds that want to uh, take it in and make plants, so to speak, in operating systems, in merchant databases, in merchant processing systems, and so forth. It's very easy for them to put this software out there and compromise what consumers believe is being handled securely, but is actually not being handled that way. So I anticipate a rough couple of months ahead, and I think that we haven't heard the end of the saga of Target. I think that the bad news has been coming out in small doses, and I think that there's more ahead. And I see the acceleration of the migration as we approach the liability shift dates uh, next year uh, with a higher penetration of mobile EMV on NFC as more EMV-capable contactless point-of-sale terminals are installed at merchants and as more NFC-capable phones become available at the major mobile operators. Marilyn and Philippe, I'd like to thank both of you again for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Merrill Halpern of UNFCU and Philippe Benitez of Jamalto. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.